The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Monday, the 20th of March in London. Coming up today. Credit to UBS, Swiss government brokers and historic takeover deal to end a crisis of confidence. $3.2 billion troubled lender Credit Suisse is sold to rival for less than half its Friday closing price. Plus, taking the strain, the Fed leads a move by global central banks to boost dollar funding. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Lizzie Burden. Here are the stories we're following today. UBS has agreed to buy Credit Suisse in an historic $3.2 billion deal. It's hoped the government-backed tie-up will contain a crisis of confidence that started to spread across global financial markets. Speaking on an analyst call held by UBS chairman Colm Kelleher, sought to smooth concerns about the takeover. It's a historic day in Switzerland and a day, frankly, we hoped would not come. I would like to make it clear that while we did not initiate discussions, We believe that this transaction is financially attractive for UBS shareholders, protects UBS from additional downside and should support earnings growth over time. UBS chairman Colm Kelleher spoke to analysts after tying up the all-stock deal. The Swiss National Bank's offering 100 billion francs of liquidity assistance to UBS, while the government is granting a 9 billion franc guarantee for potential losses. Even before the takeover, Credit Suisse was in the process of cutting 9,000 jobs. However, the merger creates significant overlaps. At the end of last year, the two lenders employed almost 125,000 people. Allianz's chief economic advisor and Bloomberg opinion columnist Mohamed Alarian says the rushed deal was the only viable option. This was not the best solution, but it dominated the other two, which was either nationalisation or trying to wind down the bank. But it's full of contradictions. It's a private sector solution, but has government intervention. You know, it's not clean, but of the available options, this was the best one that, that they could have had. Now, Mohamed Alarian was speaking to Bloomberg Television as UBS said it was too soon to know how many jobs would go, but indicated it will be significant. The takeover looks to address client outflows and a massive rout in Credit Suisse's stock and bonds over the past week. The for sale means $17.3 billion of Credit Suisse's riskiest bonds are now worthless. The Swiss financial regulator says the deal triggers a complete write-down of the bank's additional Tier 1 bonds in order to increase core capital. Analysts fear the move could send the entire 
entire $270 billion market for bank funding into a tailspin. PGM Fixed Income Managing Director Gregory Peters says the whole market needs repricing. They definitely have to be repriced, right? The issue that we've always had with that market is that um, it's really hard to value. So we thought it was uh, mispriced, too much equity risk relative to uh, what you're uh, actually getting paid uh, in terms of coupon and yield. So I think first order is that those yields have to go higher, those prices have to go lower as that equity option totally gets restruck and, and I think that changes the whole dynamics. AT1 bonds were introduced after the global financial crisis to serve as shock absorbers when banks start to fail. But those who hold them say it's shareholders that should be taking the biggest hit. The Federal Reserve and five other central banks are boosting liquidity in their standing US dollar swap arrangements. Central banks involved in the dollar swaps will increase the f- will boost the frequency of seven-day maturity operations from weekly to daily. The Fed, the Bank of Canada, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank and the Swiss National Bank said so this step will help to shield economies from funding strain. The news coming amid heightened tension that began with the collapse of three US lenders about a week ago. The Swiss tie-up caps the past fortnight of global banking meltdowns. First in the US, crypto-friendly bank Silvergate said it would shutter. Then the startup-focused Silicon Valley Bank failed after venture capital investors urged founders to pull their money from the Californian lender, causing the second biggest bank failure in US history. Signature Bank was also seized by regulators. And last Thursday, the largest US banks, including JP Morgan, Bank of America and Wells Fargo, propped up First, ba- First Republic, a $30 billion dollar lifeline. Bain Capital senior advisor Steve Pagliuca says we're dealing with a different crisis though to 2008. Well, we've had a recognition that the inverted yield curve has, uh, you know, hampered the balance sheet on a paper basis of of some niche banks. And uh, when this, when the first crisis happened in 2008, uh, the whole issue was systemic collapse. We don't have a systemic collapse now. We have a crisis of confidence and that crisis of confidence can ratchet into a bad economy. But Pagliuca added that this wave of contagion has only so far hit risky, poorly managed banks. The Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Those are our top stories this morning. Just to update you on those opening prints from the Swiss market that we've gotten, UBS shares down 8.8% this morning. Credit Suisse shares down 62% uh, as well in those trading, of course, uh, after the announcement of that deal. The Eurostoxx Bank Index down by 3.5% now, and we're seeing that effect across European banks this morning. The overall stock 600 now just eight minutes into the trading day, down by nine-tenths of 1%. The Swiss market is 1.3% lower. Valerie Titel, our market supporter, has been watching all of these opening moves very closely. And you've also been looking at um, the credit markets Valerie and, and the sort of the knock-on effect that we've seen there. Yeah, I mean the big question is in trying to solve this Credit Suisse situation, did they end up opening up another can of worms, that being a higher cost of bank funding due to these bond losses that they're imposing on the Credit Suisse bondholders? Uh, it, it's a scary precedent to walk into, um, you know, wiping out bondholders while still paying a substantial amount to shareholders uh, goes against a lot of uh, hierarchy of claims when it comes to a situation like this. But, you know, some are saying that this is not a bankruptcy proceeding. So the seniority of bondholders other, over shareholders isn't implied. But look, the equity markets have just opened. Uh, the, the, the fall in European bank stocks is reflecting the sentiment around uh, what they've done around these bond losses. It's going to be reflective of a higher cost of funding for banks going forward and potentially a major freeze of the current AT1 market as uh, you know issuance and investors back away from, from these instruments. And just thinking about what it means for the Fed and the Bank of England this week, we've already had uh, the ECB's Vilroy speaking in an interview this morning defending that 50 basis point hike, saying that it showed confidence in European banks that they need to pay attention to underlying inflation. Will the Fed and the Bank of England play the same move? It's it's going to be a very close one. I mean, we have never in the last 15 years been three days away from a Fed decision and the market pricing 50-50 in between a hike or a pause. Um, it, it's now been two Sundays in a row that the Fed has had to announce some extraordinary measures uh, late on a Sunday evening, that being uh, the most recent announcement of the seven-day uh, swap lines. Uh, um, but the Fed's calculus is all going to come down to how does the regional banking crisis in the U.S. cause a tightening of financial conditions? Goldman wrote a really good note last week that said 80% of the commercial real estate lending is done by small banks in the U.S., by banks with less than $250 billion of assets. So, you know... What does the Fed think about the inflationary, or I should say the deflationary impulse that will come from regional banks seeing deposit flight? I'm sure they were very busy this weekend on the phone with regional banks trying to understand the picture of what they're struggling with, Uh, not only the deposit flow to, to... the larger institutions that they're dealing with, but also deposit flow into money markets. And let's be honest, the Fed hiking another 25 is only going to make that deposit flight into money markets worse.
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to note, of course, the developments happening out away from the Credit Suisse story as well, as you mentioned there, Valerie. Just to bring our listeners up to date as well, shares in Commerce Bank and UBS Group have both been suspended due to volatility this morning. So uh, Commerce Bank down 6.5% for it was suspended, UBS down by 8.8%. Deutsche Bank was also briefly suspended there earlier uh, to a down 8.6%. I want to bring in our Bloomberg Opinion columnist, Paul Davies, who joins us in studio as well. Paul, I wonder when, when you look at the European banking sector this morning, how different does it look compared to Friday when we were sort of waiting to see what would happen? Well, I guess it's uh, one G-sib less uh, to start with. But, um, I mean, apart from that, I guess there is, um, there's still a lot of reassessment of risk going on. People will be looking around and thinking uh, very carefully about, you know, who else has uh, very battered, very lowly valued stock prices? Who else has maybe a lot of flightier, potentially flightier deposits, so deposits that are put there by large corporations or, or uh, you know, other very large depositors. And, and who else maybe also has a lot of, um, you know, derivatives counterparty exposure where counterparties might be, you know, thinking about the risk uh, of facing off against each other and whether or not they need to hedge that risk or pare down their exposures to, you know, some some of the other banks that they work with. I mean, I bring up all of these three things because all of these three things, of course, are things that made Credit Suisse vulnerable. So, so that's one thing, or that's a, you know, a set of things to be looking at very carefully this morning, I would say. Well, in your analysis, who are they? Who are the wobbly teeth? Well, I'd rather not kind of dig into a, uh, into a list of names because I haven't you know, fully done the work myself yet and I wouldn't want to call you're, out... Sort you're, of, you're not a banking supervisor. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not a banking yes, supervisor. Anyway. Yeah, exactly, so... But, I mean, if we're we're talking about the the landscape as a whole, you know, is there a potential that there are other credit suisses out there? Because this was essentially a crisis of confidence. I mean, if you look at things like the, the CET1 ratios, they were pretty healthy for credit suisse. Yeah, CET1 ratios were healthy. Um, you know, liquidity ratios were very healthy. Uh, and there was also the SMB uh, backstop uh, or, you know, um, liquidity support line, of course, brought in Wednesday last week. None of those things helped Credit Suisse in the end. I think the crisis of faith in, uh, in its, the strength of its business, its, its, you know, what it was going to become, its profitability, all of those things just kind of were too, you know, undermined it too much in the end in, in the eyes of depositors and, uh, and and counterparties. You've described UBS as a reluctant rescuer. Is there an upside, though, for UBS in this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they get a huge um, uh, international sort of wealth management and private banking division, which they'll be very happy to have uh, so long as they can keep most of the assets. Uh, and they also get the very big and very profitable, you know, domestic Swiss business, which is I mean, you know, the, the, they said yesterday and the authorities in Switzerland said yesterday that the competition authorities were fine with that and they were going to let UBS take it over, which is probably one of the more surprising things out of this whole deal. I think they end up with something like 25% of the entire mortgage market in Switzerland. You know, they're by far, you know, the biggest bank in Switzerland. I think the assets on their balance sheet are like, you know, uh, more than double Switzerland's GDP or something. I can't remember. Exactly. And all the guarantees to boot. And all the guarantees to boot. So it's like... It's, you know, there's definitely stuff to be had out of there that long term is going to be 
could be, should be very positive for UBS, but there's an awful lot of stuff to get done and there's an awful lot of risks in getting that stuff done along the way. The, I mean, it was something the Swiss finance minister pointed out during the press conference. She said that she had her bank accounts and her mortgage at Credit Suisse, but her, in her words, like every Swiss person, I also have a bank account at UBS. So it gives you an idea of their centrality within the, the domestic banking market as well. Look, are there other banks who will actually be worried looking at the new Credit Suisse, thinking about this as you know, a, potentially a powerful new bank created? Uh, I mean, internationally, yes, I should think so. I mean, it's, again, in terms of wealth and private banking, they're going to be a very formidable competitor. I think they're second in the world now only to Morgan Stanley, the chairman, Colm Kelleher's you know, former employer. Um, you know, and in a sense, this is kind of, this is the sort of deal that UBS wanted to do, ultimately. They, they ditched this deal for this small kind of US, um, you know, sort of digital wealth gatherer, wealth front uh, um, last year. And I think, you know, if they were looking longer term at what they might want to do, it would have been to buy a very large kind of international wealth and asset management business. They wouldn't have wanted to do it quite like this, but it still gives them the kind of, you know, leap forward that they want in those markets. So let's say that the Fed and the Bank of England do actually follow the ECB by hiking, maybe not as as aggressively as the ECB. Where does that leave the European banking sector? Well, what we have seen so far in the European banking sector, I think, is is not anything like the same sort of, or even the start of, you know, the sort of deposit shifts around the system that we saw in the US, which made a lot of those smaller banks, you know, vulnerable. Um, in terms of what the Fed, in terms of what the rate hikes uh, do, I, I wrote another piece um, at the end of last week that was published on Sunday about how we're seeing all of these rate hikes arrive at once because, you know, the way in which they're they're working through the system is there's this sudden kind of, you know, uh, uh, sudden realisation of risk in the banking system and that's causing, you know, credit conditions to tighten dramatically as, you know, a lot of the banks reassess their own sort of risk appetite and look at their own sort of stock prices and their own uh, bond valuations. And that's, and that's kind of how, you know, a lot of the interest rate rises that have been done already hit the system and hit the economy through the provision of credit. So I think we're going to see, you know, a, a rapid arrival of all of the monetary tightening that we've seen so far, and that's going to affect the economy, and that's going to kind of lead to, I mean, it ought to in many ways lead to some sort of reassessment of where your major central banks go next, I think. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Amazon, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.